I just remember we just came from our summer vacation. I come from a family who was pretty well off. And my father had a sawmill factory where uh, plywood, things for, for building furniture was manufactured on the outskirts of Krakow. We lived in the city of Krakow. Every year we went for, when the school was off, we went on vacation to the country. My parents uh, rented a, like a log cabin from a peasant that lived in the mountains. Poland, like every country, has beautiful parts in the mountains. And I remember in 1939, towards the end, before we were coming home, there were already voices we heard uh, what's going what's going to happen, what's going to come. We didn't want to believe it, of course. And when we came, the trains were already, because we used to go by train, the trains were already scarce. My parents were very extremely upset remembering the First World War. My parents went through the First World War. But we did get a train, and we came. And I remember that first night when we came home, there was such a silence in the street. It was like a, like a, a horrible silence. I, I just can't explain this. And all of a sudden, we heard these tanks come, this whole huge like a commotion, rumor. And something was rolling down the street that we couldn't really identify. It turned out that there were tanks. The Germans invaded Krakow, the city of Krakow, which was not far from the German border. So it was, inv it was occupied very early in the war. And the next morning, when we woke up, my father couldn't go, didn't go to, we went to his business, but he came right back and he was uh, very upset over something. I was only 13 years old. I had a brother who was three years older than I and a sister that was five years older than I. I was the youngest. My mother went to the market, and she came home all disheveled, and she said, I think the Germans are here, and there was nothing to buy. She said, I don't know what to do, because we used, there was to be open markets. We didn't have department stores like here. And that was the beginning. It was right before the school started. It was uh, September 1st, the school started. And I couldn't go to school. All of a sudden, the school was closed for Jewish people. We couldn't go to school. And my parents, as I said, remembering the First World War, which turned out to be completely different than this one, uh, were absolutely stressed out. So we lived in the apartment in our apartment, we had a beautiful apartment in, this, in the city, not in the, where the Jewish quarters are, where everybody goes to visit. But my, as I said, we were pretty well off, so my father moved out. But he was a very religious man, very orthodox man, so he walked to, the, to his little synagogue. The first high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, he couldn't go to shul. Shul means synagogue. So he organized people to come to our apartment, which turned out to be very dangerous because if the Nazis would have found out, there would be the end of everybody. But we did. They had the prayers in our apartment, and I will never forget this. There were quite a few, not too many people. I don't remember how many. I really don't.
So we stayed in the apartment for a while, and they installed a Nazi in our apartment. They installed a German Nazi who occupied one room in our apartment. And we were afraid to walk around or move or anything. But he turned out to be very quiet. He didn't really bother us too much. But the time came that we had to move out of this apartment, and they moved all the Jews to a certain part. That was before the ghetto, a certain part of, of Krakow. So we shared a smaller, we had a smaller apart, very small apartment. I remember we had an uncle, and my mother's uncle and aunt, who lived in Berlin. She was a born Berliner, and he was my, my mother's uncle. So he was a Polish citizen. And because he was a Polish citizen, they sent them back to Poland, to Krakow, to our... So they stayed with us in our apartment. They lived with us. And they managed to send the children, because in Germany it started much earlier, they, sent to, they managed to send their children, they had a son and a daughter, with a kinder transport, they call it, to England. And I was, after the war, I somehow got in touch with her, and I was, I'm still in touch with her daughter, who lives in Australia, yes. She's not alive anymore. It was very hard. We had a curfew. They gave out armbands. We had to wear armbands, a white armband. Now our city was not the yellow patch. It was a white armband with the Jewish star, blue Jewish star on it, and also an ID card that stated that we are Jews, and a number, always a number. The oppression started very systematically. There were a lot of very orthodox religious Jews in Krakow with a beard, with certain the way they dressed, the very ultra-orthodox. And they used to catch, the Nazis used to catch them, the Gestapo. They wore brown shirts, they wore brown shirts, and they had skull cap on, her, on their head. They used to catch them and make the... My husband even had, we have even some pictures of it, some from the newspaper. They used to make a whole big show out of it, which here's shearing the or pulling out the beards from people's faces and all that. And it was just difficult to walk down the street. And school closed, so at the first, my parents know, arranged with some teachers for them to teach us. We went to school, to their homes for a few hours a day, but that became dangerous too. Any type of assembly was dangerous. And then from then, from the ghetto, from that little apartment that they moved us out, the ghetto came, the Krakow ghetto, which was a few streets in a certain part of town. We had to share one apartment, many families. Not many, as much as they could, you know, like small apartment, but two, three families that had to. But they used to raid, the Nazis used to raid the homes. One night, somebody came banging at our door. I was sleeping with my grandmother. There was a bed in the kitchen. And my parents were in the next door with my sister and brother. And they started banging on the door. And I said to my grandmother, keep quiet, don't even breathe. I covered her up. And they came and searched, but they didn't see her. They would have seen her would have been, she would have been gone. They did, and and shot her in the ghetto. They did shoot her. Well, then they came the liquidation of the ghetto. 
Uh, then came the first segregation. And uh, certain people that had certain numbers on their ID cards had to assemble on a square that was a small square in the ghetto. They selected people from there. My sister, my, my parents and my sister had these numbers, so they had to go, being told that they're going to go to work, taken to work. Of course, my father's business was taken over by the Nazis. He couldn't go there. He couldn't get out of the ghetto for sure. And they took them. I don't know. I ever saw my parents and my sister again after that. And I don't know when or where. I suspect that it was in the article in that place, Belgez, which was, which nobody talks about, really, but it was a place where 600,000 Jews just brought there for, for the purpose of being killed. There were no barracks there, no work, nothing. And the little possessions that they took with them, they took away from them. I was taken, I was in three different concentration camps, uh, working by making uh, brushes, manufacturing. Everybody had to work, otherwise you were not allowed to live. So there were only young people, able people. And there was a very famous composer that in the Krakow ghetto, and he had a friend who wrote the libretto, worked the words for the, for the music that he composed. And because he was limping, the Nazis came, just shot them both walking down the street. His name is Mordechai Gebirtik. And my friend is going to sing one of his songs in Yiddish at my commemoration in our synagogue. And what can I say? And then we went to, um, they sent us to the first camp, which they constructed, and there was the liquidation of the ghetto. I cannot even tell you what it was like. I didn't have my parents anymore. I stayed with my brother. Somehow I was separated from my brother. I don't know how. And I never saw him again. It's hard for me to talk about it. Extremely hard. Because I very seldom cry, but I just... It's just, you know, because I cannot explain. No, no survivor can explain the, the heartbreak and the emotions we went through. We talk about the physical pain, what they took us, what they did, and that. But, but there was so much physical pain, pain and anguish, which never subsided after all these years. Even though I'm the only one that survived from my entire family, and I really don't know how, it's just just some kind some kind of a I don't know. I was I guess meant to live. The last year of the war, 1945, as the Russian army and the American and Allied armies were coming into Germany, they were moving you. Final well, times, weren't they? At my last camp was near the city of Leipzig in Germany. It was a bomb factory that was in the second camp. The first camp I was making brush, working with brushes. The second camp, they took us in the, in the trains. It was a bomb factory called Hasak. They manufactured huge bombs that came up to my waist. From the chemicals, we all became our faces, uh, our exposed skin was became like a greenish yellow 
and our red hair was red. I was I was a blood, and this was terrible. We saw people. There was such hunger there. So much dirt, and lice and bedbugs crawling. I could see them crawling in the street in, in the walls, and uh, we all had typhus. But we were infected from the from the lice. The lice were infected. They told us, including myself with high fever and all that. And I had all kinds of mirages by my home. My my grandmother came to me one night. And I saw her praying for me. And uh, finally I dragged myself off the... It's very hard for me to talk. Well, anyway, from that, from the, I was laying, was laying on the... On the Dirty boards that totally resembled shelves, still. The dirty, filthy boards and burning up with fever. And I, my friend next to me, I wanted to talk to her, but she didn't answer. I didn't know what happened. She was dead. And so I dragged myself. The morning came. I don't remember how long I laid there. But then the morning came, and I said to myself, I better get up and go to work. Because otherwise they raided, they will come into the barrack and they'll, they'll shoot me. I don't know how I got the strength. It's just amazing to me how I had the strength to do it, and the, and even the mind to do it. And I did. We never knew about the what going on in the world, because we were completely isolated and we were separated. Women were separate, men were separate. We were never together, men and women, in a camp. There was a women's camp and a camp someplace else. We had to get up every morning at 4 o'clock. It was like a roll call. We had to all assemble in fives, and they came and counted us. And one time, somebody was missing. That wasn't the first camp yet. And they hung two girls. We had to all assemble, and they hung two girls in front of us. They caught them and hung them in front of us. I don't know why, but they sent us to Germany to the same company, uh, the same Hassa company, company. But it was different. They were not barracks. They were the huge buildings, and they housed us in one building. There were big rooms. There were six hundred young women, women in one room where we slept. And so they called us in the morning. We had to get up every morning around at dawn chased us out in all kinds of weather, and they counted us. We had to assemble in fives, and they chased and counted us. One time, I remember, towards the end of the war, we didn't know it was the end of the war. But we, when we were standing, being counted, we saw planes going all over. We didn't know what it was. And the next day, there were bombs coming down. The... I remember there were different bombs. They were like phosphor. They told us there were phosphorus bombs. It was like a, like um, little lights going down, and they hit one of the buildings. They, few people were killed, but we didn't care. We just stood there. We were just happy. We couldn't believe our eyes that that was happening. We just couldn't believe our eyes. So from that camp, because because uh, unbeknownst to us. The war was coming to an end. The Russians, like you said, from one side, the Americans from the other. 
Americans were bombing Germany terribly. And um, so they took us on a march, which became, we called it the death march because we had to march constantly, day and night, guarded by Nazi women, also, they were so cruel, and, and dogs, German shepherd dogs. I was deathly afraid of dogs. So we were walking. We didn't know what it was like. Like in a like when you hear stories, some people are lost in the desert and they see houses. They see things. That's what what I experienced. So houses, so lights. But we were surrounded by by walls of fire because the fronts were not far. And finally, I don't remember how long we walked. I tried to speak to my friend who walked with me, who survived. Also, we both don't remember. No, no, we don't remember. And whoever sat down was was killed instantly. We had to walk. We sustained ourselves. It was like I said in my story here, it was April. And potatoes were... We went through some fields where potatoes were planted f- for them to grow. You know, to raise a potato, we have to put a potato on the ground and then it raises up from that. We used to dig it up and and eat it, and that that was what we sustained ourselves. Sometimes we even picked grass because we were so hungry. And but a lot of people were shot for it too because if they saw you walking out of the line to the field. They would shoot, shoot right away. So finally they locked us up, about, I don't know how many, a few hundred women, young women. Uh, by then I was about 17 years old, 16, 17. And they locked us up in a barn. And for, I don't remember how long we were in the barn either. You know, time was... but. All of a sudden, everything was very, very quiet. And we said to ourselves, you know, we can't sit here. We're going to all die here. Let's see what happened. They'll shoot us, they'll shoot us. We don't, we don't care, but we have to get out. Somehow, we, we, I don't remember how it happened. I just don't remember, but we broke the door. Somebody, I don't know who it was, not me. Somebody broke the door. And we walked out, and it turned out that it was an estate, um, a estate that had f- huge things of fl- of potatoes from the winter or whatever. So we, of course, we started eating the potatoes with, this, with dirty with this. It tasted the best. And few days later, the Russian tanks. Here. I was. I happened. This happened to be a place not far from the River Elba in Germany, where American forces and and Russian forces finally met, coming from opposite sides. I happened to be on the Russian side. It was fortunate that I was liberated, but it was unfortunate that I was on the Russian side. But anyway, that's a whole other story. What they did with us, they didn't know what to do with us, so they put us in like small groups and brought us to German homes. And they say, you feed them and house them. We don't care what you do. You have to do it. And the Germans were so afraid that time because who, who, whichever German you spoke to, they knew nothing about what happened, nothing, nothing. Nobody 
you. And that's what it was. And my friend and I and her mother decided we were there for quite a few. Oh, and the Russians used to come on tanks and they wanted to socialize with us and other things also. But men one from women, we were so afraid from. They brought bottle of vodka, you know, when they wanted to. Um, so there was a cemetery not far. So my friend and I and her mother used to go to the cemetery, sleep at the cemetery, because we were afraid they're going to... Because they did rape a few girls to death. They came in like, like savages on the tanks. Russians are not like Americans. Americans are beautiful, civilized people. What the Americans did, like my husband, right away set up camps, brought, brought medication, brought clothes for the people. That was Amer- That's America. That's the beautiful country of ours. But Russia is different. They came like wild animals. All they saw is girls, even though we were emaciated. I weighed maybe 70 pounds that time. But finally we decided, we stayed in the Germany with the Germans, and we decided that we cannot live like this anymore. We have to find out who survived and who didn't, because we had no knowledge of who survived and who didn't. So we took upon ourselves, we were going to walk towards Poland. We were not far from the city of Dresden, which is central Germany. So we were started walking. And uh, we came into a place, we saw railroad tracks. So we stopped at the railroad tracks and saw a freight train coming through. And it stopped at a certain point. It turned out that there were Polish war, war prisoners that they kept also. They kept Polish people also. So we came to the train and we said we want to go up there. <laughs> And even then, after a war like that, they didn't want to let us up. So I, I never looked like a Jew. I had blonde hair, and by then my hair came back, white, blue eyes and white face. I never, I never looked like a Jewish person. So I started telling them, I don't know where I got the guts from. I said, if there's such a war, you're not going to let one Polish person to, to another to come back toward the city, to Krakow, that we want to go. So they let us up. And sure enough, we never told them we were Jewish. Finally, we came to a city, to a certain point in Poland, and they wouldn't let us into the train. My friend and I, and we lost her mother someplace, somewhere. I don't remember how we lost her. We climbed on the roof of the train, and we came to Krakow, on the roof of the train. We get off the train, we stay at this train station, and where to go? No family, no home, no nobody. It happened, it just happened. Things happen in life that sometimes are indescribable. Just happened that a friend of mine that I knew that survived also was walking by. It was, and I said, I said, I said, where, where are you? Where did you? She was in a camp in Poland, and she was liberated before. And Częstochowa was the camp. The city was called Częstochowa. So she told us, because people were, much, were liberated much earlier, uh, so they set up 
comedy in Krakow. On a certain, I remember the name of the street and everything, so the two of us went there. And they gave us a straw sack, a sack with a straw and two blankets, and they told us go go across the city. There was a building that was uh, partially, because Krakow was not bombed at all, at all. Not, it's a beautiful city, by the way. It wasn't bombed at all. It was, a Jew, it was supposed to be a Jewish seminary before the war, and they didn't finish the building yet. There were no windows, and the, the doors didn't have locks or anything. They gave us this building to, to be in. So each room occupied. We were laying one next to another on the sex. And we used to go every day for a little soup across the city to that organization. How did you meet your husband, who was also a concentration camp survivor? My husband I met much, much later. I had to smuggle myself out of that because that was occupied by Russia. And I'm sorry to say that even after the war, the Polish people did not want to accept us at all. There were raids. Some, a lot of Jewish people were killed after the war, even. Finally, I said, you know, I can't be here. I can't. I just can't. It was hard for me to walk down the street that I used to walk with my family, visiting the family. Family wasn't like here. Family was aunts and uncles and cousins. And my grandmother, we used to go on Friday night and our Sabbath to visit them and all that. I couldn't walk the streets, and I didn't find anyone alive from my family. So some friends that were with me in the building, they said, you know, there's a way of smuggling yourself out to Palestine. There was no Israel then. There was a way of smuggling yourself out to Palestine. I said, tell me how, and I'm going. I can't, I can't walk the streets. I cannot be here. As a matter of fact, I never went back to Poland all these years because the pain is too great for me. So a lot of people did go. I, I just can't. I just couldn't. We started smuggling ourselves out. We just went. It's a whole story. We, we walked towards Czechoslovakia, uh, and I just wanted to get out of the Russian zone. I don't know how, how, how long it took me to get to Czechoslovakia, to but we walked. We walked always along the tracks because we knew that that this will take us someplace, because otherwise you don't know where you're going. The conductor came for the tickets, and we told him Czech, the Czech language is very similar to Polish, so we could communicate very well. And we said to him, we don't have tickets, and we told him who we are. He said, you know, at the next stop, you just get off the train and walk along the tracks and by the morning, you're going to find yourself in the American zone because you're not far from it. Because the country was divided into zones. It was Russian zone, American zone, uh, French zone, and English zone. Poland was Russian, and that's what we did. We walked all night along the tracks with dog barking someplace, or with flashlights going. We didn't care, we just walked. And in the morning... A train came, We were, but, so we went on the train. I, m myself, I say, we, it was myself, two girls, and two young, ma young boys. We walked together. And in the morning, 
a train came. We went on the train that was already in Czechoslovakia. And again, we told them who we are, the passengers. And they said, go, go to that, get off at this point, and you're going to see a camp, American camp. Sure enough, we went off, and there was a, the town was named Plzno. And we went down, and there was an American camp. So Americans are Americans. They took us in, and all the survivors that were there, you know, we were like brothers, all of us. And uh, right away, we, they gave us some clothes, and they gave us some, and of course, right away, cleaned us up medically, they sprayed us with stuff so we don't have any diseases. And from there, I went to a different camp, DP camp, which was which is short for displaced persons camp. So I went first to Salzburg, city of Salzburg, in a, like a displaced persons camp where all the survivors were. And we were getting packages from the United, what, who else? From the United States, from UNRWA, care packages. Well, the, God bless this country. People, I don't know people, what people think, this is the best country in the world. And my husband and I always, when we came, he was the happiest day of our life. And so I was there for a while, and then I found out there's a better, <laughs> that they give better food, better camp, not far from there. So we took a train, a bus or a train, I don't remember what, and we went to the other camp. That's where I met my husband. And then you came to the United States how long after that? That was 1945. 1949, we came to this country. And I didn't want any children. We didn't want to, I really didn't want any children because I said, look what I went through. I don't want to bring a person into the world to go through some, some stuff, hopefully not what I went through. But, you know, we were young, and it happened. Uh, so we came here with a three-month-old son, Jack. We came to this country. We were sponsored, of course. It was all legal. It was very hard to get to this country. Before we came here, we were interrogated by the CIA, because that time was the communists, you know, with the United States. We were interrogated by the CIA. We were medically, from top to bottom, examined with x-rays, with everything, blood samples, x-rays, everything. And we had to promise that we're not going to be burdened to this country, that we have a profession, and we'll never be a burden to this country. And Henry had an uncle here who came here in the early 20s from Poland, his father's brother. And he sent us the, he sent us the visa. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to come. And because I had a baby, our the Jewish organization uh, managed that we came by plane. Of course, it wasn't a straight to flight. We had two stops before we came. It was a four-propeller plane, and Henry was looking out all the time if the propellers were turning. <laughs> <laughs> How did you end up in Cranford? You spent a, a good part of your oh, life in Cranford. When we came to the United States, I had a cousin who came here. She came here in 1939 when the war started because she was an American citizen. We went to her house. She lived in Elizabeth. We stayed in her house. And from there, 
we stayed with her for a few for a few months, and then we wanted to have our own apartment. So we, somebody told us, a friend told us there's an apartment in Roselle. First we lived in Roselle, and then we bought a house in Cranford after my husband worked in Singer sewing machine because he was a mechanic, he, and, and I helped out also, you know. And I mean, in this country, when you're honest and you work hard and you, you know how to manage your money, you get, you, you're okay. That's why we ended up the way we are, thank God. And so then we had another we had a daughter three years later, they're both wonderful children, uh, very high education, the best education we could give them. For us Jewish people, education, not for many people, but, but we are called very often people of the book because the education was, is very important. I remember my father used to say, children, learn as much as you can because whatever you have in your head, nobody will take away from you. They may take away, he told us, before the war, I remember, they may take away everything from you, but not what you learn. This is going to be yours all your life. Molly Sperling, thank you for sharing your story with our audience. You're very welcome, very welcome. Um, I'm sorry that I have such a sad story. I would rather talk happy stories, but uh, people need to know what hatred does to people. And stop hating each other. After all, we're all, if you think about it, we're all the same. We're born the same way. We die the same way. Maybe we pray differently, but that doesn't mean anything. We go through life with the same problems. So we need to understand that the earth is very fragile, and we need to love each other.